Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Good evening, everyone. I'm Erin Burnett. And I'm Dana Bash. Our breaking news tonight, the federal indictment of Donald Trump. The first time in American history that a former president has faced federal charges. Donald Trump has been indicted in the classified document investigation and charged with seven counts. At least one will be a conspiracy charge, according to a source. Trump's team does not expect charges to be unsealed tonight, another source said. But in a video, he takes aim at the Justice Department. It's called election interference. They're trying to destroy your reputation so they can win an election. That's just as bad as doing any of the other things that have been done over the last number of years. Well, there he is. Uh, the lashing out, the former president says he's been summoned to appear at the federal courthouse in Miami on Tuesday afternoon. And in a statement, he says it's a dark day in America, something everyone should be able to agree with, regardless of how you see this. But then he goes on to insist that he's innocent. I'm an innocent man. I did nothing wrong. I want to bring in Evan Perez, our senior justice correspondent, to begin our coverage here. And Evan, uh, you know, the Trump team saying they haven't yet seen the full indictment. Uh, There's a lot we still don't know, but a lot minute by minute that you're learning. That's right, Aaron. We know uh, just in the last hour, certainly from uh, the Trump attorneys, that uh, they have received this summons, which uh, shows essentially a, a basic charge sheet. There were seven charges, according to them. Uh, we're, we're, we're told, according to them, that uh, one of them has to do with the um, uh, 793, which is the Espionage Act. Uh, one of them is 1512, which is an obstruction of justice charge. Uh, there's a witness tampering charge, according to the list that they provided, uh, conspiracy again. Uh, those are among the charges that we're aware of, um, according to uh, the Trump attorneys. And the idea at this point right now, Aaron, is that uh, late this evening, the former president's legal team was notified that there had been an indictment in Miami and he is set to appear on Tuesday at 3 p.m. at the federal court for his first appearance with a federal magistrate. Uh, We know that Frankly, this was something being held very tightly uh, by Jack Smith, the the, the special counsel and his team, uh, law enforcement officials uh, who are going to be in charge of trying to secure the president, secure that courthouse and secure those judges uh, were caught off guard, frankly, by this. They were not notified about, about this until after the former president had already gone public with this information on True Social. And we can talk a little bit about more about that. I mean, it's something that you know, I, I'm a little surprised that the Justice Department is allowing the former president to set the narrative of exactly what the special counsel has done yeah. uh, at the end of this investigation. It's almost yeah. like they didn't learn anything from last uh-huh. August when the former president was the first to tell publicly that he his house had been raided at Mar-a-Lago. And then for the next few days, spun out a bunch of lies about exactly what had happened, including uh-huh. allowing for threats against the, uh, the, the FBI agents that carried out the search. And, and, to, and to that point, Evan, right, they're, they're coming out. He, he 
broke this before the Justice Department. They're talking about the summons. Yeah. When do we all get to see the actual indictment, the charge? How does this happen from here? Obviously, he's appearing, as you said, on Tuesday at 3 p.m. But, right. but when, if, how do we all see the actual indictment? Well, someone has to go to a judge and ask the judge to unseal that indictment. Uh, again, we don't know exactly when this grand jury or when the grand jury returned that indictment. We knew we saw a lot of activity. Karis Canell, uh, Hannah Rabinowitz were inside that courthouse today yeah. we're trying to, to figure out what was happening. We saw there was activity at the grand jury room, but we don't know whether that grand jury returned that indictment today. So what we know is that Beginning tomorrow morning, uh, certainly uh, uh, someone, perhaps the Justice Department, will go and ask the judge to unseal the indictment. Uh, Jim Trustee told uh, Caitlin Collins in the last hour that he hopes that they can see it before the, the Tuesday court hearing. Um, Aaron, that, that's, that's the truth, is that the, until the Justice Department or until a judge unseals it, we don't know what the special counsel is alleging against the former president. We don't know the seriousness right. of these charges uh, until then. And, that, that, and that's unbelievable, right? As you said, just because something fills empty air, right? Something fills it. And, and maybe it's better to, to let the, the facts and the truth uh, fill it than, than speculation. All right, Evan, thanks so much. I mean, yeah. Dana, it is incredible to think, you know, here we are, we know so much, and yet we still know so little. Mm-hmm. And we don't know when this information is all going to come out. No, absolutely. And the fact that, as Caitlin heard from one of Donald Trump's attorneys, even they haven't seen the indictment yet. They've just gotten word about it. I want to, on the notion of Donald Trump and what his team is hearing, I want to go to CNN's Kristen Holmes. You have done uh, some reporting. You're still doing reporting as we speak. What are you hearing from inside Trump world about how he's doing and what they are hearing? Well, right now, I think it's starting to wind down. There was a lot of excitement and concern over the last several hours uh, as this began to unfold. And as you noted, look, this is still sealed. No one that I have spoken to in Trump's political world has actually seen this indictment. They have just heard from attorneys what this looks like. Uh, This was something that they were not taken by surprise when it happened. But yet it is still shocking nonetheless, given the fact that the former president in an unprecedented move Uh, has been indicted by the Department of Justice. And as we've been reporting most of today, Donald Trump himself was starting to tell people that he believed he was going to be indicted. I talked to a number of senior advisors who said, yes, we think that this is going to happen. And his entire team was preparing for this moment. They have had a call with the lawyers. But just as Jim Trustee said to Kaylin, they don't have all of the information yet. And sources are telling me that they aren't expecting this to be unsealed tonight or possibly even tomorrow morning. They are still trying to piece together what exactly Trump's reaction is going to look like. Yes, he put out this video. But what does this look like in a larger sense? When does he go down to Florida? He has two campaign events on Saturday. He's going both to North Carolina and to Georgia. I am told by officials, none of that is going to change. So the question is, how exactly does he address this? Is he going to bring this up in these speeches? Is he going to give remarks on Tuesday after he goes down to Miami? Is he going down to Miami in person? All of this is stuff that they are trying to figure out right now. And I do want to note, Mm -hmm. my colleague Elena Trine is in Bedminster. She's talking to several of Trump's advisors who say they are, quote, jacked up. They are ready for this. And I do believe that there is a faction of Trump's world 
that does feel that way. They feel energized. They feel like this is going to give them the same boost in the polls that they saw from the Manhattan indictment, uh, the same boost in fundraising. But I will note, there are a number of people around him who are very serious and very professional this cycle. And they do not feel that way. The people that I have talked to who say that they're not sure that this is an ultimate positive, that the entire way that they believe that Donald Trump can win the election is by broadening his base. And getting an indictment on this in this federal investigation is not a way to broaden his base. So something to keep in mind there, that while, yes, this could, in fact, energize his base, could bring in fundraising dollars, could boost up his poll numbers, there are still people who support Donald Trump who don't think that this is a positive when it comes to an actual 2024 election. Yeah, we use the word ultimate. It is the, the age-old question about uh, the short-term versus the long-term in politics, the primary versus the general election. And they are very, very different. But clearly, he feels, you know, he needs to win the primary first, and yes. that's who he's playing to. First and uh, foremost, that note, primary. Absolutely. Uh, Kristen, thank you so much. On that note, I want to bring in CNN Chief Congressional Correspondent Manu Raju. Manu, many of the president's allies are rallying against uh, this indictment, rallying on his behalf, including the Speaker of the House. Tell me what you're hearing. Rushing to his defense, similar to what happened in the New York case, even after they, before they've seen any details of the indictment in the New York case, before they've seen any of the details in this federal indictment, saying that the Justice Department is wrong, calling it a witch hunt, calling it a sham investigation, and vowing to use the power of the House GOP majority, in their words, to hold the administration accountable. That is exactly what Speaker McCarthy just said in a tweet just moments ago, going after this indictment, calling it a dark day in American history. He says that the Republicans stand with President Trump against what he what McCarthy says is a, quote, grave injustice. He goes on to say House Republicans will hold this brazen weaponization of power accountable. Now, it's not entirely clear what he means by that. Some folks in the far right of his conference want him to go as far as calling for defunding or dismantling the Justice Department. That is not rhetoric that McCarthy has embraced, but they have done other things to go after investigations, including in that New York investigation. They have already gone after that prosecutor in that case, trying to call him to come and testify on Capitol Hill to try to suggest that that was a politically motivated investigation. Expect the same to happen here. It's unclear exactly what at this point. But, But Dana, there is a serious divide within the ranks of the Republican Party. We have not heard of anything from Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell or his number two, John Thune. McConnell is publicly neutral in this campaign, but he wants to move past the Trump era, as does John Thune, who supports Senator Tim Scott, yet to weigh in on this issue, showing the persistent divide within the party over Donald Trump. And also, Dana, most members are gone. There are really nobody here in the Mm -hmm. Capitol left tonight. Most of them are not here till next week. So really, the only people are speaking out are the vocal ones. A lot of them are quiet now, waiting to see the details before they weigh in, if they weigh in at all. Dana. Manu, thank you so much for that reporting. Yes, we can hear the echoes uh, in the halls there. And Aaron, what he just uh, read, it is uh, uh, from the House Speaker. I I think to me, the most striking part of it is it is unconscionable for a president to indict the leading candidate opposing him. That just frames it exactly the way that uh, Republicans will be doing it. Not that uh, this is something that is happening to a former president, but to somebody who wants to be president again, making it a political 
Alleging that it's political. Right, absolutely. And saying, you know, the president's doing it as opposed to a special counsel, right, who was was given those powers, of course. Thank you, uh, Dana. So let's get straight uh, some reaction from Ty Cobb, former Trump White House lawyer. And Ty, you know, I know we've talked a lot during this. Um, You know, you you heard Manu and Dana talking there. Um, I know your contacts had told you that this was probably ready. It could happen today or tomorrow. Here we are. You were right. Um, as what stands out to you most here, and I guess I'd like to start with, if possible, the seemingly relatively sudden switch from Washington to South Florida. You have a theory on that? Yes, I do. I think the, there's some. You know, there have been complaints made by the defense counsel about some procedural issues that they view as uh, misconduct. Um, uh, which the Justice Department apparently does not believe uh, rise to misconduct. There's been a lot of exchange of legal theories. Uh, there have been logistical discussions. I think it's likely that in the course of that back and forth that the uh, Justice Department, uh, as it firmed up the evidence and considered uh, uh, wh- where the charges uh, should actually be brought, uh, reconsidered some of the venue issues. Uh, I think they, I think they have venue in D.C., but I can understand that there are arguments that might um, uh, delay the venue um, decision uh, that f- force it to go through uh, a hearing and an appeal, and uh, um, that by bringing it in in Florida, they sort of bulletproof themselves from that because. Obviously, that's where the bulk of the activity yeah. in terms of the unlawful possession and yeah. uh, obstruction occurred. Does it speed it up? I mean, so it sounds like you're getting rid of some of the delays that would come through venue challenge and other. Does it speed it no. up, up enough that this could somehow get through the process before the election by doing it in South Florida? So that's an excellent question. I know that's on everybody's mind. I, I think, um, you know, as we've talked over the course of the last year, uh, this is this is right up against the line at which it is conceivable that it could get to trial before the election. Um, I think had they waited till September or later, uh, that would have been very difficult. But I think by uh, a bringing it in Florida, b limiting it to seven counts, which I think is you know very prosecutorial, very professional. Uh, very intelligent approach, unlike, you know, bringing 34 charges uh, or however many were brought in New York. Yep, but having right. having having seven charges, seven counts uh, tied together, uh, blending in the uh, unlawful uh, possession and use of uh, the classified documents, along with the obstruction efforts that were made to uh, prevent the uh, archives and the Justice Department from re- re- receiving those documents, uh, I think that's a smart approach. I think that also speeds things up. Uh, I think um, uh, from from the description that uh, uh, Jim Trustee gave, uh, and 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 I appreciate his passion on on that. But from the description of what he gave, uh, it sounds like a pretty um, pretty lucid uh, uh, approach to uh, to the indictment. We still don't know exactly what's in it. Uh, we hear a lot about, you know, public interest and, you know, the poor president not having a copy. But the reality is he's not entitled to a copy. Nobody's entitled to a copy until 
uh, arraignment, I think they'd like to work out a circumstance where they could um, maybe make an agreement with the president and his counsel to share the indictment with them ahead of time um, on the condition that the president's team wouldn't leak it. But we'll see how that develops over the weekend. All right. Well, Ty, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, and let's go straight uh, to our panel here in New York. Ryan Goodman, um, former special counsel, Defense Department, former federal prosecutor, Elliot Williams, Scott Jennings, who worked in the George W. Bush White House, and the former Democratic Congressman, Mondaire Jones. Uh, all right, let's just start here on the on the legal side. You know, the point, uh, interesting, Ryan, that Ty is saying, by doing it the way they did, did it, by evaluating, even though he felt that it, they would ultimately prevail in Washington, evaluating the pushback, said it will be faster to do this in South Florida, that speed seemed to be a part of it, that he's saying it is possible, possible, that this could get through the system prior to the election. I think that's right. And before this point, if you were to have asked me what is Trump's strongest legal argument, I would have said venue. If they brought it in D.C., that would be the place that he could make an argument and a challenge that they brought it in the wrong jurisdiction, which could actually ultimately end up in the entire case being thrown out. Right. So the risk is it being thrown out. And even if you win, you just burned a lot of time. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that now they've taken that off the table. It's in Florida. Strongest legal argument that that is exactly where it should be brought. There's no venue challenge that's going to come up of bringing it in Florida. And obviously, you know, we, we know uh, we, we obviously haven't seen it. We know from um, from from Jim Trusty and from uh, CNN reporting, you've got espionage, witness tampering, and conspiracy uh, among uh, what's referenced in the summons that they got. But it, you know, interesting as Ty says, seven charges seems to be very specific, very buttoned up, very tight. Yeah. Although when I hear, okay, you got witness tampering, espionage, conspiracy, all in there, along with obviously presumably obstruction. Uh, that's a lot in a few counts. It's a lot in a few <laughs> counts. Now, I want to be careful and clear here. The, what we say espionage, we're speaking about the Espionage Act. It's not the cloak and dagger uh, trench coats and uh, right, you know, right. sort of spying, but it's the the mishandling and retention of information that could harm the defense interests of the United States. That's probably what was charged here uh, and not sort of specific spying. Mm -hmm. Now, Conspiracy is something quite concerning because that's an indication that in order to be charged with conspiracy or convicted of it, you formed an agreement with another person to commit to break the law and took an act in furtherance of breaking the law there, right? And so there's probably uh, one other person at least who came to some agreement with the former president or acted at the direction of the president to break the law. All right. Now, I, I, I don't want to, like, just, you know, play 20 questions because sure. none of us know the answer to begin with, Ryan. But, I mean, that could be anybody from person moving the boxes to uh, Mark Meadows uh, and what immunity he had. Right. I mean, we don't know who that, quote unquote, conspirator is and what deal was reached. But it could be anybody in that gamut. It could be. Um, Jim Trustee said something very interesting in his interview with Caitlin Collins. She basically said, what about the fact that, do you know of anybody else who's being indicted? And he says, we're not aware of anybody else who's being indicted. And I have a theory. She says, what's your theory? Then he says, and he maps out this argument as to what, that does seem to point the finger at Walt Natow. So that's the porter, that's the body boxes. man who's moving the boxes mm -hmm. in and out, who said he moved the boxes in and out at uh, Trump's direction. Mm -hmm. And he said, basically, he's trying to make this argument that the DOJ engaged in misbehavior, according to his allegations, that could have changed the equation in that other case. That is the Walt Natow case. And he's suggesting that's why Walt Natow is not being charged tonight. And that might be the other conspirator. That so the conspirator. that could be at least one of them, because uh, there's two or more. 
Right. And it could also mean what he's saying there is not being charged means he's cooperating, which would be a very big deal. And one more thing. Um, one of the, Another charge that's being talked about is false statements. It's not, and that would be a false statement made to law enforcement or a government official, right? It's not clear that the former president spoke to any law enforcement, but he might have directed somebody uh, and tried to influence the words that they provided to somebody else, which would get you yeah. charged with false statement. False statement, witness tampering. you got all, all these above. all these yeah. possibilities in here. Um, as I said, seven charges. You know, you could look and, and you go, okay, that, that sounds like a lot <laughs> in a little, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, you already hear their arguments. You already see their arguments against it. DeSantis saying. Well, the, the, the word of the night for the Republican Party is weaponization. And you are broadly seeing the Republican Party leadership mm-hmm. rally around and circle the wagons around Donald Trump. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Ron DeSantis, uh, other presidential candidates, m- lots of members of Congress. I think there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure in the U.S. House, and you're already seeing vague promises. We are going to hold the Department of Justice accountable. What does that look like? You know, does that look like funding? Code does that defund, look like does that look like for, impeaching, yeah. you know, yeah, the, uh, right. the, the attorney general? And I think Trump is going to want to encourage that. But this word, weaponization, this is a key argument that Trump is making and will continue to make that your government is being weaponized against you if you're a Republican. And so what fills the airspace between now and when we actually see this indictment, which could be several days? I mean, this is what you're going to get from one, but this is it? Yeah, look, I think you'll continue to see allegations of weaponization of the Department of Justice Mm -hmm. by my former Republican colleagues in the House. Uh, The irony, of course, is that nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, this is a Department of Justice that clearly isn't politically astute enough to even issue a statement to at least get its, its own uh, position out there with respect to what it did today in terms of the indictment. Um, and, you know, it is ironic, um, though probably not surprising, that we, prob- that we will see, I think, House Republicans move forward with uh, continued talk of defunding the FBI and defunding the Department of Justice, despite having spent years now running campaigns against Democrats falsely accusing them of wanting to defund law enforcement. Yeah, like the irony there. All right, uh, Dana, you know, I mean, it is it is amazing to think that it could be, I mean, we don't, maybe maybe somehow it comes out tomorrow, right? Or maybe we're still sitting here having the same conversations uh, around the edges of conspiracy mm-hmm. or espionage uh, in a few days. It very well could be if we don't end up seeing this until uh, until Tuesday. Yeah. I want to go, uh, Aaron, to Mar-a-Lago. That is where CNN's Randy Kay is. And Randy, there's a small crowd of Trump supporters gathering there. What are you seeing? Dana, they've been gathering here for uh, the last couple hours or so since news of the indictment broke. We're on the bridge which overlooks Mar-a-Lago, known as Southern Boulevard. And this is where uh, the protesters come, whether whether Donald Trump is here or not, as we know he's in New Jersey tonight. But there has been uh, a small group of supporters, you can see here behind me, that have been gathering here tonight. Uh, Very, very peaceful. There's police in the area as well, making sure uh, that it remains peaceful. I did speak to some of them earlier, and they were basically saying that they think that this indictment is only going to make uh, the former president stronger, going to make his campaign stronger. They believe it's a uh, witch hunt, as we know that's a word the former president likes to use. They called it political garbage, and they truly believe that this is not going to impact his campaign or a possible uh, win in the election at all. Now, also, I should note, there were plenty of people that were driving by, honking their horns, uh, yelling out their windows, saying, lock him up. So not everybody here uh, is a supporter of the former president. But this is ground zero. We are just 
at the edge of Mar-a-Lago. This is where it all happened. This is where the 15 boxes of documents were removed. Uh, 300 documents marked as classified were removed from here. But when you speak to these uh, supporters of the former president about that, they don't want to hear anything about it. One of them told me, in fact, that they believe it was all planted. Dana, back to you. Randy Kay, thank you so much for that report. And we've got much more to come on our breaking news. The first time in U.S. history, a former president has faced federal charges. Donald Trump indicted in the special counsel's classified documents investigation. Stay with us. Breaking news tonight, the former president, Donald Trump, has been indicted in the special counsel's classified documents probe. And a source says that Trump has been charged with seven counts, at least one of them conspiracy. He's set to appear at a Miami federal courthouse on Tuesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Kara Scannell is in Miami tonight. And Kara, what are you learning? And obviously between now, it it may be until then, uh, we have to wait until then to actually uh, have this not under seal. Yeah, and it's a big question of will prosecutors ask a judge to unseal this indictment between now and Tuesday? You know, and if they don't, then on Tuesday when he's appearing in court, that might be the first time that we learn what these specific charges are. And, you know, in the case of a lot of these indictments are known as speaking indictments, it will go through in some kind of narrative form what the prosecutors allege the former president done that violated the law. So there'll be a lot more that we can learn once this document is unsealed. But on Tuesday, you know, as we wait for that, I mean, this will be just like any other arraignment. The former president will come in. He will, you know, self-surrender to the FBI. They will process him. And then he will appear before a judge here and be asked to enter a plea in this case. Now, the big question also here is what will that look like here? You know, will this be in the ceremonial courtroom? Will it be... uh, in the judges uh, who is the randomly assigned this case, who will it go to? Will that be, you know, a Trump appointee has appointed a number of judges in this district? Will it be, you know, someone appointed by a Democrat? We just don't know yet how that's going to play out. Uh, you know, but then he will make his appearance. And, you know, as we saw in New York just a few months ago when he made that appearance in the state court, you know, that was a big security undertaking. Uh, there were a lot of precautions that they took, but they tried to get him through the actual process, both through turning himself in uh, and then actually going into the courtroom and going through that proceeding. They tried to do that as quickly as possible, given just the big security uh, risk that he faces by being out there and then just kind of uh, issues that causes to a city because of all the the lockdowns and the security parameters that they take. So, you know, that will be the that will be the next steps here once we don't expect anything else to happen in court. So the next thing will be on Tuesday and then he will come in and enter a plea to these charges. Uh, And then, you know, usually in those in those uh, in an arraignment, you do get some additional discussion about what kind of discovery they have. So sometimes you can learn a little bit something more about the evidence that they collected, how much of it is, how much they've turned over. So all these other little details that sometimes come out that we'll be looking for uh, on Tuesday. Erin? All right, Kara, thanks so much. And Dan, it's amazing, you know, and Kara's talking about that, to think about uh, the former president, you know, again, having to turn himself in. He just Mm -hmm. had to do that in New York. Mm -hmm. It was unprecedented. Now here we are, unprecedented take two. In between that, there was, um, you know, being found guilty, right, in the uh, defamation, sexual abuse, E. Jean Carroll case. I mean, it's pretty stunning. It is pretty stunning. And of course, that was uh, on the state level. This is on a federal level, uh, which is a whole different uh, ball of wax, as they say. And and on that, I want to bring in uh, John Miller to talk about the Secret Service 
meeting with staff this morning, beginning security planning for the former president's indictment. So, John Miller, before we talk about security, I should also say you are CNN's intelligence analyst and CNN chief law enforcement uh, analyst. On the charges first, John, what is your takeaway from what the little, really, that we know so far? Well, we know it's a seven-count indictment. Um, We are told there's a conspiracy count there. That is particularly important because a conspiracy count means that the person charged in the case conspired with another. Uh, That could suggest, as was discussed a minute ago, that someone else could be charged, or it could suggest that someone else is going to testify that they conspired with the former president to obstruct justice by moving, hiding, or otherwise shifting these documents around to avoid discovery. You know, the most likely charge we're looking at here is Title 18, U.S. Code, Section 1924, because it speaks to the actual mechanics and component pieces of the investigation. It's about any unauthorized person who knowingly removes with intent to retain at an unauthorized location, those are three points of the investigation, classified documents about the United States defense. And we've seen other cases involving government officials with the same charges, um, notably the airmen up in Massachusetts, um, another Air Force suspect in Florida. Uh, This seems to be the go-to charge for the moving parts of this case, Dana. And and this is the Espionage Act. This is under the Espionage Act. So you have, you have, you know, a Secret Service detail that um, only found out uh, tonight that they are to, to basically produce their protectee um, in the Southern District of Florida um, at a hearing at 3 o'clock on Tuesday to face these charges. This was uh, held very closely. And what does that tell you about how law enforcement, Secret Service and uh, outside law enforcement agencies are going to handle this on Tuesday? Well, the advantage is it's not, as we were just talking about a minute ago, it's not unprecedented. It's a drill that they've been through in a state court. This will mirror that. You're going to have um, the former president brought to a federal court. Um, he's going to go through what, what we would call an arraignment. In the federal system, it's a presentment where, you know, he will be presented for the purposes of identification and for hearing the charges. Um, he's going to be released on his own recognizance and that, you know, he's going to be judged not a flight risk. But at that proceeding is the place where most likely they will unseal these charges and we will get the first look on what is the breath um, and the story behind them. John Miller, thank you so much. And here with me now in Washington, CNN chief legal analyst Laura Coates, legal analyst Carrie Cardero, senior political correspondent Abby Phillip and former deputy FBI director Andrew McCabe. Thank you all for staying up late on this uh, another history uh, making night. Laura Coates, I want to start with you. As you're sitting here sort of consuming all of this, I want to know what's going through your mind, given your legal background. Well, let's take a step back on the extraordinary nature of the fact that we have a former president being charged. But I'm not going to get hung up on the fact that it's a former president. What I'm focused on is the conduct, that somebody previously had the authority to retain classified documents as a person who had that legal authority and double down and retain them according to what we presume to be the willful retention of that. There'll be a lot of focus going forward about, well, what does this say about our country? Other democracies, of course, have held their former leaders to account. But what does it say about America to have this moment? Well, what would it say about our country 
if we allowed laws to go unchecked, if we had a notion that people were above the law, if they no longer were the head chief officer in the country. And so I'm focusing in that realm. But also, I'm going back to this moment that was also extraordinary. A former president's attorney was allowed to testify in the grand jury, Mm -hmm. was allowed to give evidence and testimony about the conduct that actually underlies we're talking about now. And I have an eye towards that when I'm looking to figure out what evidence Jack Smith had, what is the evidentiary basis of the allegations? Because it's and so course, unusual for people who don't know. It's so unusual. For a, to, to allow for attorney-client privilege to be breached. To be pierced in this way, because we want, as in presidential privilege, it's not this instance, we want forthright, candid conversations. We certainly want them with our attorneys. So if an attorney is allowed to speak about the nature of conversations and the substance, because the federal court has said, wait, There's an exception here. It's called crime fraud. I'm not going to let you shield yourself because you're an attorney to say you can't tell me anything. That was the moment I think this became a kind of foregone conclusion. I just want to pick up on one thing you said, Laura, at the beginning, which is that you want to look at this as a person. A person. An American citizen, not necessarily a former president. But we all know that that's not necessarily how they look at it. And Andrew McCabe, you're the only one at this table, I believe, who has experience, um, not necessarily with the former president, but with a very high-profile figure, uh, and, uh, and that is a, a presidential candidate. He, th- there has to be a different lens through which you look at a case like this, because he is a former president and a candidate again. You know, not in the way that Laura was just being, not when it comes to examining the conduct That lens should be the same for former President Trump or anyone else who engaged in this. You know, it would be impossible for anyone but a former president to have had the sort of authority that he had to classify and declassify documents, to lose that authority, and then to continue to retain the documents. So the the fact pattern here is, is pretty specific. But nevertheless, when you are investigating this alleged activity, you have to look at it through that lens of what did this person do and how does that conduct stack up against the law? Certainly. Now, when we're talking about um, a presentment and an arraignment on Tuesday, there are security concerns. How do you transport this person? How do you handle them? Those are all places where it's perfectly reasonable to think about this uh, soon-to-be defendant uh, as a former president and the unique considerations that come along with transporting and securing him. But when it comes to presenting that evidence to a grand jury, having a group of your fellow citizens sit in judgment as to whether or not there is probable cause to hold you accountable for a crime, you should be seen the same as any other citizen uh, in that context. Yeah, and I didn't mean to suggest that he's going to be held to a different standard when it comes to the law and to the facts and to the evidence. But when it comes to approach and being really buttoned up. Hey, there's no question. Any high profile case um, that you know is going to receive this level of scrutiny, you want to be perfect. You want to have every detail taken care of. We also know that being perfect in a large, wide ranging, broad investigation is impossible. And over the course of this litigation, I'm sure we will see um, arguments about things that the Department of Justice allegedly should have done better or been more careful about. That happens in every single case. At the end of the day, the question is, do the prosecutors convince a jury of Americans that there is uh, beyond a reasonable doubt um, that that President Trump committed these offenses? That's, at the end of the day, the only standard that matters. And it's not the first time that we will be asking that question of this particular former president. I mean, that's what also makes this 
um, unprecedented and historic in probably all the, the bad ways. Uh, this is a current candidate, former president, who now faces several uh, indictments and many more potentially to come. It's a pattern of conduct, some of some of which is alleged. Others, um, you know, in the case of the E. Jean Carroll case, uh, has been found by a, a, a jury to he for him to be liable for that. But it's a pattern of conduct here that has put him in this position so many times. That's incredibly unusual. And that's actually what really undercuts the argument from a lot of his allies that this is all just a grand conspiracy. Uh, you know, Donald Trump was president once. If he wanted to uh, bring charges against any number of his political allies, if it were so easy, he could have done it if their conduct created the environment uh, to make that possible. I, I just think it's so difficult to get to this point where on so many different issues, Trump is facing real investigations, real charges, real criminal liability, and that is not going to be washed away by tweets or by political spin. The voters will ultimately decide. But we just have to take a step back and look at the fact that on documents, on sexual abuse and def- defamation, on the hush money case, where Georgia is coming up soon, uh, January 6th is also coming up, uh, there is a range and a scope here that is truly unprecedented. You know, what I keep thinking about all evening, Dana, is that this did not have to happen this way. Um, This case, the fact that we are at this point as a country, the fact that the former president is now facing these charges is 100 percent a self-inflicted wound by him and by his team around him. There are other cases that we can look to in the national security space and mishandling of classified information, um, including the more recent cases of uh, of former Vice President Pence, um, where individuals make mistakes, they mishandle information, then they work with the government to fix it. And in some cases, it can mean that there's never a case that's actually brought, a criminal case that's ever brought, um, like the Pence example, where it was just an accident. He handled it. He reported it. They returned it. Done. Uh, Or there's been other cases, including a former senior high-ranking national security officials, where they made a mistake. They admitted it. They plead down to what is the lesser charge of uh, what John Miller was describing earlier in Section 1924 of the Criminal Code, unauthorized removal uh, and retention of classified information, which is different than the set of statutes under the Espionage Act. And and it, the case gets handled. Um, you know, a former CIA director pled guilty to a misdemeanor, faced probation, and paid a fine. Mm-hmm. And so there was a whole range of potential ways that this could have been handled and that this could have been resolved and I just continue to think about the fact that it didn't have to get to be this And bad. it wasn't yeah. resolved that way because Trump, as he has said multiple times, he still to this day does not believe that the documents belong to the government and that he had to give them back. I mean, his refusal to even contemplate that is what has brought us to well, this. Well, you know, I, I almost think... I wonder if he really does not believe that or there is an emboldened sense that suggests I don't have to. I have three questions for this former president. Why did you take the documents? Why did you keep the documents? And why do you refuse to return the documents, even though it is clear that there has not been declassification, 
that you have the wherewithal and the knowledge about this. It's not inadvertent, according to the allegations. And we have to see the fulsome um, reporting on this issue. But let's not forget about Merrick Garland, the attorney general of the United States. States. Jack Smith is the special counsel. He has he has authority to make prosecutorial decisions and declinations. But under this statute, he will have to go to Merrick Garland, the attorney general, with this information. Attorney General Merrick Garland has the option to either agree with the decision or decide against it, in which point Speaker McCarthy and Congress would have to be informed about the decision. So this is not any talking point that suggests that there is somehow, I think, Praetorian Guard is the word that Mr. Trusty used to allude to the imperial army of the Roman Empire, as if Jack Smith is simply that part, that part. No, he's a special counsel who has certain regulations. I would really doubt, though, don't you all, that Merrick Garland would look at this case and say, you know what, Jack Smith, I will not follow your suggestions based on all that you have seen. That's going to be the next frontier of the talking yeah. point to suggest that he's just a rubber stamp. But the count's regulations is very different. All right, everybody, stand by. We're going to have to take a quick break, but we're going to be back with much more on our breaking news. Former President Donald Trump indicted on seven counts in the classified documents investigation. What happens next? More ahead. More on our breaking news tonight. Former President Donald Trump has been indicted in the special counsel's classified documents investigation. I want to bring in a man who knows maybe just about more than anybody about a president facing stunning legal trouble, Nixon White House counsel John Dean. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I, I, I kept thinking as I knew I was going to talk to you uh, about the, the sort of famous line, it's not the crime, it's the cover-up. Obviously, this is just an allegation here, but it's sort of the same idea of we were talking before the break about Mike Pence and others having uh, classified documents, returning them. And in the case of Mike Pence, just week before last, him being cleared and Donald Trump is facing a very different uh, set of challenges and an indictment. Very true, Dana. This is this is a perfect example of somebody who just kept digging a hole deeper and deeper. Uh, it was really kind of surprising, but it points back to what might have been the original intent, which is to take these documents, to keep them and use them for his own whatever purpose, which we may or may not ever learn. So I think there is a difference in uh, this wasn't pure cover-up mm. initially one of the documents. Uh, let, let's talk about the way the DOJ has handled this so far and the question of informing Donald Trump and his attorneys and keeping the indictment under seal until Tuesday. Uh, what's your view on the way that they're doing it, given how high profile this is, given how very political it is, uh, since he's Donald Trump and he's also a candidate for president? Yes, my initial reaction was that the department seemed to have blown it because why didn't they put out an announcement of some kind rather than let Trump run with what was in the indictment? Then we learned when uh, Jim Trusty was on uh, CNN that they, the indictment really has not been handed down at this point, mm -hmm. that they've, been, they've received a summons. They've got to come to court uh, next week on Tuesday, and that's when they'll unseal the indictment, uh, at least for court purposes, and it'll be official at that point. Now, I don't know if there'll be 
I think what might be happening, Dana, is given what happened with the uh, search warrant and the way Trump handled that, mm -hmm. they may be very reluctant to let him have a head start on this. So he cannot reframe and recast issues uh, that are very clear in a talking indictment, which I suspect will be the case. So mm -hmm. I think the department has handled it well. And while I tweeted earlier, I was surprised. I'm not anymore. Oh, that's really interesting. Uh, let's talk about the, one of the charges that we, are, we know is in there from uh, CNN reporting, and that is the conspiracy charge. What do they have to prove to uh, get a conviction on just that one charge, one of seven, I believe? They have to prove that there was a, an agreement to commit a crime, to commit action that was criminal, and that there was a, some step taken towards actually conducting and committing that crime. It's a fairly low standard. Uh, the Department of Justice, the federal prosecutors love conspiracy counts because a lot of admission of evidence that otherwise might not come in comes in, and they're very tough for defendants to, uh, uh, to not get caught up when they are charged with this because justice is very careful in who they name. Actually, Richard Nixon was named as an unindicted co-conspirator so that all of his tapes could come in against his former aides. John Dean, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Really interesting uh, that, uh, that you changed your view, given more information. Imagine, Aaron, that that actually does happen in these. And it's important to right. actually underscore, because you've been uh, talking all night about the fact that this is just kind of a vacuum that is being filled uh, by the former president and you have somebody like John Dean who sees something initially and says, wow, the DOJ is not handling that right. And then gets more information from Donald Trump's lawyer that they don't actually have the indictment. They just have a, a, a notice. And he's now praising the DOJ. Yeah, I mean, right. right yeah, the facts are coming in so much. It is interesting, Dana, as you were sitting there, you know, we had we, our, our panel here thinking, gosh, could you be in a situation where you have the front runner for the Republican nomination, possibly then the nominee, under indictment, four different indictments at the same time. I mean, it is incredible just to take a step back here because, you know, you get in the moment of this one and we're mm -hmm. covering it, right? And then just to think about, gosh, wow, what we could possibly be, be walking into. I mean, it is, it is incredible as we are sitting here together and watching, mm -hmm. watching history unfold here again on this night. We're going to take a very quick break. But when we come back, much more on the historic indictment of former President Donald Trump in the special counsel's classified documents investigation. Our breaking news tonight, former President Donald Trump indicted on seven counts in the special counsel's classified documents investigation. Uh, my panel back with me, and let's start here on the legal side of things. Uh, Ryan Goodman, so as we're getting more information, starting starting to kind of come through here, um, do you, it, it seems that we're going to get some of the real parameters of this uh, pretty quickly, that we're not going to be necessarily waiting until he walks into that courthouse on Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon, I'm sorry. That's right. So as the evening progresses, we're getting more and more of the charges, and there's only seven, so it's going right. to, it's finite. Um, but it does seem like the headliner charge is the Espionage Act. Mm -hmm. um, so, and it's, the words being used are retention. So it just means that he's being charged for keeping the documents that pertain to U.S. national security and national defense information from the government. Right. But what hasn't been said is the word dissemination, which is in some sense good news for the president, President Trump. 
in that that would be an even much more egregious charge. Dissemination, meaning he gave it somehow, got it into the hands of third parties. Right, right. And I guess we don't know what we don't know, Elliot, but, yeah. but that would be significant because obviously one of the big pieces of information that leaked out in the past week was the existence of a tape, right, where he's talking about the uh, Millie's, uh, per, right. you know, the potential plan for an invasion of Iran. Right. right. And he's shaking around a piece of paper, which may or may not have been that, talking to somebody and acknowledging, well, I, I wish I could tell you all of it because it's classified. That theoretically could have been dissemination if that had moved further, if they had more. But at least from what we understand now, that may not be oh, among the charges. That would have been a separate federal offense if, so, if it mm-hmm. were an actual yeah. document and someone saw it. A very serious federal offense with serious penalties here. So that it seems that that's not does the not case. seem that that's on the it table. Is, it does not seem that that is on the table. And, and can I just say, Scott, that this is possibly significant. If dissem- you're talking about retention, the significance of that, right? You got conspiracy, espionage, all of those things. If you do not have dissemination, yeah, um, from a political perspective. Uh, I, I think your view is, right, that this makes it even harder to break through the political rhetoric that we already are seeing out there. Yeah, I was thinking earlier that if they had something showing he gave it to somebody or and there had been conjecture about that, that would have Especially been... Especially foreign national. You, exactly. Yeah. But if they don't have that, then you can see tonight the, the circling of the wagons around him. That's going to continue. I mean, Republicans are doing this without having seen anything. They've seen no evidence. They've seen none of the documents. And so that would probably embolden them to continue... To do that, and um, you know, remember the reaction after the raid. I mean, people were saying, "This is like the beginning of a civil war. This is the the lines are drawn. There's no going back mm-hmm. now." I mean, that happened on when the raid happened at Marla. I mean, this is going to be a continuation of that from the same people who started that back then. And and I don't. I mean, it's just mind blowing to think about. This guy's going to be on trial for his life. I mean, these things carry actual jail time possibilities. And this yeah. trial, you've got the Georgia thing hanging out there, the New York thing, January 6th. At what point does he start to wonder, running for president, is it my best defense or is it my <clears throat> worst nightmare when it comes to keeping myself out of jail? I mean, he's, he's an elderly guy. You don't want to go to jail at that age or any age, really. <laughs> but, well, but of course, Mondaire I mean? raises the questions about what he would do in this situation because it is very likely that he is going to be facing, well, he is facing multiple indictments, already facing two. It could be three, could be four. Yeah, no, look, uh, it's, it's a Pandora's box, I mean, with, with this guy. And um, I think the Fulton County DA has, has given enough of an indication uh, to the courts that there's a, an indictment that's imminent uh, in that jurisdiction. So, um, look, I, I think, again, this is a really sad day for this country uh, in terms of, of any, you know, former president being indicted for anything. But right. I... I as I, as I survey the landscape and I see this assault on our democracy, whether it takes the form of January 6th or the voter suppression that we are seeing in jurisdictions around the country or, or the commitments that even presidential candidates on the Republican side like Ron DeSantis have made about the kinds of people who they will appoint as FBI director and Department of Justice, mm. I take solace in the fact that the rule of law persists uh, such that even a former president of the United States can finally be held accountable for some of the crimes that he has committed. All right. Thank you all very much. Thank you. 
And we're back with more on our breaking news tonight, the federal indictment of Donald Trump. I'm Dana Bash. And I'm Erin Burnett. And the former president has been indicted in the classified documents probe for the special counsel, Jack Smith. Seven counts, we understand, are the charges. Uh, we do know uh, from a source one of them is conspiracy. And it comes, Dana, of course, as he is the Republican frontrunner by a long shot. Let's just be honest right now. Early polling, but right now he is the frontrunner by quite a bit in the race for the White House. And that's that's the reality, the political situation. You simply can't deny it. So mm-hmm. let's go to Evan Perez, our senior justice correspondent and our chief CNN uh, law enforcement intelligence analyst, John Miller. Evan, you know, that this was not unexpected. OK, I'll start right. there. It wasn't unexpected, but the timing was unexpected, right? So much so I, from your reporting, right, that the U.S. Secret Service, the U.S. Marshals, they did not know that this was happening. They weren't in place. It was Trump himself who was the first to put it out there. That's right. That's right, Aaron. Uh, The Justice Department, uh, the the components of the Justice Department, the law enforcement components, you know, really want to make sure they have uh, the assets. They want to make sure they've done the, uh, the, the threat assessments before the former president is brought down to uh, the, the courthouse there in Miami. Now, there were some preparations that were being done behind the scenes, but they didn't know if this was going to happen, when it was going to happen. And they finally got that notification after the former president uh, had already gone on his social media platform to say that he had been notified of the indictment. And so it gives you a sense of how tightly held this information was. Uh, Jack Smith, the special counsel, uh, you know, who does, who has been operating uh, independently, that even within the Justice Department, the components that uh, are in charge of some of the security issues, which is, you know, the U.S. Marshals are, are going to help secure that, that courthouse. Uh, the, uh, the Secret Service, of course, uh, is going to be responsible for bringing him to uh, Miami and getting him to that place, uh, to that courthouse. Uh, all of that didn't really uh, get going until, until uh, shortly after the former president uh, put out that, that post on social media. And so what's happening now uh, as we speak is that the, uh, the Secret Service, the marshals, everybody is now uh, getting themselves ready. They're going to send pe- additional people down there because they don't know what this is going to look like on, by the time Tuesday comes. Uh, yeah. Certainly the security is going to be a big concern. Yeah, I mean, John, it is sort of stunning. I don't want to say they were on their heels because I you know, can't know exactly what their strategy was or sure. their timing. But it does, it sort of feels that way, right? With something that, that you know is, is this significant and this big to basically allow it to come out on, on, on his terms and his way seems a bit surprising. Well, they're following the law. I mean, uh, the yeah. grand jury investigation is secret under Rule 60 of the federal, <laughs> the federal code. Um, it is not uncommon for the prosecutors to share with the defense lawyers um, that your client, you know, that this is going to go to a vote tomorrow. Okay, today uh, your client was indicted. Uh, we'll see you Tuesday at 3 o'clock. Um, so, I mean, I, I think this came out the other way. Uh, but for now, the charges are still sealed. Uh, we might see them if they are unsealed, but we might not see them till the appearance. Uh, it really depends on how the Justice Department and the court proceeds on this. And, and, and John, I know you have one important thing that you're looking for here just in terms of the classification itself. What do you mean by that? Well, the, when you look at the, the documents, here's something that we really haven't talked about, and we've been talking about this for months, which is the president of the United States doesn't have a top secret clearance, uh, yet they are the chief classification officer of the United States. They can classify or declassify by virtue of the office. The important point there, Aaron, is 
that at the stroke of 12, when they start to not be president at the end of their term, all of that disappears. They're not authorized to possess classified information. You can't erase what's in their memory, but it's the current president who decides whether or not former presidents can get classified briefings or updates on things involving foreign travel. So in the Trump case, there's been a lot of overcomplicated conversations about whether he could have had them, should have had them. Uh, once you leave office, all presidential records, classified or unclassified, except for personal records, are the property of the government and the National Archives. Classified records, of course, ticks that up several levels. And yeah. once he left office, um, his, his clearance by right of being president disappeared that day. Right, right. A Aaron, yeah. Aaron yeah, uh, just, real quick, yeah, just real quick, uh, I think John is raising a really, really important point and a fascinating issue, I think, that may have very much affected why suddenly we saw this case being brought in Miami instead of Washington, where we've seen witnesses being brought before this grand jury for months and months and months. The yeah. former president, if you remember, uh, left Washington hours before uh, the, the new president took office at noon uh, on January 20th. And that's a key thing. I think you've heard Trump lawyers on our air point out that when he left Washington, he was still president. So uh, they're saying, or what they're trying to, I think what, what they're building up to, to, to say when they go to court is that, well, you know, the former president was still authorized to have this stuff when he left to go to Mar-a-Lago. That's one reason why they raised the issue of venue, wow. why this case needed to be brought not in Washington and why you know, it's being brought in Miami. You know, in, in the end, the former president left hours before Biden took office, in part because, you know, he was just mad, right? He was mad yeah. about losing the election. Yeah. But in, in, in the end, it may have made a difference in why this charge is being brought in Miami instead of Washington. Which is just unbelievable, right? When you just think about the chance of that, right? Because as you point out, I guess all yeah. these things are tied together. He left early because he didn't acknowledge that he lost. Right. right. So remember, he gave that speech at the at the hangar and then he left. And of course, every other president's there for the handoff. So it doesn't happen. Right. He was way. playing. He was it's playing Laura Brannigan's Gloria and all that whole thing. Correct. Right. Right. Oh, I remember. I remember it well. All right. Thank you both very much. Dana. <laughs> Aaron, thank you. And back with me here in Washington, Laura Coates, Carrie Cardero, Andrew McCabe and Paula Reed joins the table as well. Paula, you've been talking to your sources. Yeah. What are you hearing? Well, what's interesting to me is we're obviously not hearing anything from the special counsel today. It's unclear if we'll hear from him tomorrow. But in speaking with a source familiar with the Trump legal team, even the legal team was a little bit surprised that the special counsel made this choice to inform the Trump legal team. You knew that that was going to wind up on anything you tell it was going to wind up on Truth Social, but without any plan to share any facts of their own. I was told it was a little bit surprising that they hadn't already teed up sort of an order to unseal. They hadn't already gone to the judge to get that permission, that they hadn't tried uh, to put together even a press release or anything. They're like, look, this is, this is interesting. We're getting at least 24 hours to flood the zone with our version of facts. So again, that's a choice by the special counsel. I'm also told that after we get through the process, the presentment on Tuesday, they do intend, not surprisingly, to file a motion to dismiss. They're really going to lean into these arguments that they're making about prosecutorial misconduct. They haven't presented a lot of solid evidence for that. They also may make arguments that this whole investigation 
was conducted in Washington, D.C., even though the case would be brought down in Florida, because they will try to argue that the prosecutors wanted to go before more favorable judges up here in D.C., uh, particularly on all of these privilege fights. So that's what we can expect. But it's sort of interesting to get some insight into how they're thinking about all this choreography with the prosecutors. And again, it's unclear when we're going to see this indictment or if and when we're going to hear from Jack Smith. Well, that's really interesting. What do you make of that, Andy? Well, uh, about the initial, the fact that even the Trump team was surprised on how the, the sort of the mechanics of it tonight. I think it's consistent with what we've seen from the Jack Smith team from the very beginning. Um, I don't know Jack Smith personally, but I've been watching you know this this story develop very closely as everybody else has. And the one thing that we have seen is he does not talk about what he's doing. We learn about things coincidentally. There's been numerous. Um, motions and um, arguments before the judges here in D.C. that were conducted in a secret, sealed basis, things that we did not learn about until maybe the judge released some sort of a order memorializing what happened. Um, there's many subpoenas that, that went out that we didn't learn about until witnesses started talking about them. We knew nothing about this infamous uh, audio recording uh, until last week, and that uh, was revealed in grand jury testimony a few months ago. So I think it's uh, absolutely consistent that they were quiet about this development. And I think it also suggests that they may likely be just as quiet over the next few days. I think that Jack Smith may rely on kind of normal order and wait until the indictment is presented officially at the arraignment to the defendant. And then it is traditionally unsealed. And that may be the first time we hear from them. I I'm uncomfortable with the notion that anyone would anticipate someone as a special counsel that when Trump says jump, he's supposed to say how high. He is supposed to run an effective and respectful investigation that's supposed to protect the rights of the defendant. One of the reasons we do not disclose all the information in the Department of Justice is because we do not want people to have an unfair system. It's already a great amount of weight to have the United States v ahead of your name. And Andy was saying during uh, the break that one of the reasons, maybe the reason that the indictment is sealed is to protect the defendant. That is the reason, because you do not want to have a jury population or pool having the information, making assumptions, because although you have a burden of proof as a prosecutor, beyond a reasonable doubt, obviously grand jury is a probable cause standard, you still want to respect the weight of the hammer that is the Department of Justice against someone. It is a system that is going to benefit those with the vast resources of the government more than it will the individual defendant. But also keep in mind this. We're hearing a lot about classification of the documents and whether he declassified them or whether he did not, whether it's the magic wand or otherwise. The Espionage Act actually predates the classification system that we have as a part of our government. Mm. It's not actually an element of the crime that they have to show that a document was actually classified at that juncture. So one of the reasons they have to show show that there was the unlawful retention of a document where somebody had subpoena power or otherwise authority to have returned to them, that you are no longer in the lawful custodian of that record. And when told that or you knew that, You had to return it. Now, that could also be somebody who had the clearance to do so and was careless in the way that it was displayed as well. There are all sorts of guardrails we put in place for that reason. But the idea of the classification specifically, they need not prove that in this case. But obviously, it's going to be a consideration. I think one way to think about um, the way that the special counsel's office is handling the public aspect of this is that they are currently operating 
according to the default. Mm -hmm. So the default, the normal way, as Andrew said, the normal order of the way that this would work is exactly how it's playing out. What's different is the way that the former president handles these types of situations and his legal team being on television the night before when he hasn't even seen the day of the announcement, when he hasn't even seen the actual indictment yet. That's unusual. Um, the way that the former president publicly announced the physical search at his residence, which, by the way, we never needed to know about at that time. The only reason the public and the media ended up knowing about it was because he announced it. And then the Justice Department went and made a motion to unseal it so that they could show what actually was going on. That similar situation could happen in this. Tomorrow's a new day. It's going to be a long day. And there is a possibility that the Justice Department could then change based on the behavior of the former president and the Trump legal team. Um, but the current situation is the way that it normally would occur in a normal case. Right. But this is anything but normal <laughs> right. for a million reasons, exactly. not the least of which is a former president and a current president, uh, candidate for president of the United States. Aaron? All right, Dana. Well, I want to bring in now Nick Ackerman, former assistant special Watergate prosecutor, uh, into this conversation. All right, Nick, so you bring with this the historical perspective of when the country went through, you know, sort of the gut-wrenching uh, process of Watergate. From what we understand so far tonight as this is starting to come out, what stands out the most to you right now? Well, I think the fact that the president, the former president, has been indicted. Uh, we were not able to do that with Richard Nixon because President Ford pardoned Richard Nixon. So that is really the big difference that stands out here. Um, if we had been able to indict Richard Nixon back in 1974 uh, and tried him for conspiracy to obstruct justice, uh, this wouldn't be quite the big deal it has become with both the indictment in New York and now this indictment in Miami. Uh, well, it's interesting. It raises a lot of questions as this goes ahead. When you when you bring that precedent, right? Pardoned by Ford, obviously, you know, had been had been his vice president. But uh, you know, there, there there will be real questions maybe uh, as as we reach the end of this process here uh, this time. Um, but 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 thus far, when you look at what we know to be in there and and not in there, and we don't we don't fully know everything, Nick. But you know, we know um, that there's some sort of a conspiracy charge. We obviously know there's obstruction. Um, we, we, we do not see at this point dissemination. That's the, right. But mm -hmm. I think the real key issue that I'm looking for when that indictment hits my desk yeah. is do they allege the motive? Why is mm -hmm. it that Donald Trump stole those records in the first place? And why did he go to great lengths to obstruct the government in actually getting those documents back? I mean, we have some hints out there, but we don't know until we see the indictment. We know that Jack Smith subpoenaed the Trump Organization for records relating to seven countries that presumably the Trump Organization does business in. Now, does that mean that Donald Trump was using those documents, holding on to them uh, to actually facilitate his business? Uh, we know that in his private safe, uh, in his office, they found documents relating to the commutation of the sentence of Roger Stone, who was convicted for basically covering up for Donald Trump and documents relating uh, to President of France, Macron. Now, what was he doing with those documents? Why did he hold on to those? I mean, you can arrest assured that he was not using those documents to add information to his Christmas card list the following December. I mean, there are a lot of unanswered questions here. Sometimes an indictment, a criminal indictment, will 
provide you with information on the motive. Sometimes it won't. Keep in mind that motive is not an element of any of these crimes, but it is an important part in terms of how significant the case is. It goes to many of the issues that um, have been raised before by, by Scott Jennings in terms of how the Republicans and the public view this case. So that is what I think we've got to be looking at. And it may turn out in the end that we're not going to really learn what that motive was until we get a bill of particulars or until we actually get to trial. All right, Nick, thank you very much. It is so crucial, as you say, though, when you talk about just basic obstruction, Dana, when he talks about these things, you know, you don't need a motive, right? Did you do it or did you not do it? But in the court of public opinion, which is where this is going to be tried for many, many months, right? Mm -hmm. If he was doing it because he wanted to get more money from Saudi Arabia, if they're able to somehow tie a bow there or make an argument, that sort of thing may be very significant in the court of public opinion. That's exactly right. I mean... When you're talking about the short term, the court of public opinion that he cares most about, of course, are Republican primary voters. And that is why you are seeing him jump on this. You're seeing him fundraise. And you're also seeing where the base is by Ron DeSantis and Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans uh, appealing and uh, calling the, the, the Department of Justice weaponized and things of that nature. Um, I want to bring in somebody who knows Donald Trump, who knows people in the Trump world, who worked for uh, then-President Donald Trump, and it's Sarah Matthews, former Deputy White House Press Secretary. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. You, again, as I mentioned, know the former president. You were around him on many different uh, occasions up until uh, January 6th. What is your sense of what's happening in Bedminster right now? I think that while him and his team are putting on a brave face, um, they definitely have to be panicking a little, given that um, you know no one wants to be indicted, uh, not just once, but this is the second time now being indicted. And I think that they know that this case is far more serious than the case with Alvin Bragg, where um, that one we were talking about, you know, a hush money payment to a porn star, and uh, the public already was kind of largely aware of um, his affair with Stormy Daniels, whereas this is a whole different level of the kinds of charges that he's facing. You know, we're talking about violating the Espionage Act. But I do think that his team is going to try to spin this as a win. And the way that they're going to do that is that they're going to rally the troops, get his uh, most staunch supporters out there on TV and flood the airwaves. And then on top of that, you're going to see them fundraise on this, just as they did after the Mar-a-Lago raid and the first indictment. Yeah, I mean, they're doing that right now. Uh, But you, again, you sort of make an important point about what is going on, uh, the forward-facing strategy, the political strategy to be defiant and to try to use this as a political plus, which it's still, as somebody who's covered politics for a long time, kind of blows my mind that there is a world in which this can be a political plus, but it is, at least in the short term, it appears that way. Uh, But the behind the scenes, what actually happens uh, in these moments with the former president That is the kind of thing that you have witnessed. 
Yes, exactly. Um, definitely uh, working for him, it was always kind of crisis communications. There was always something popping up, um, but nothing, I feel like, of this level. Yeah, and course. I think that uh, while they are going to say that in, this is a win for them and the team, um, sure, in the short term, this might serve to help him in a primary, and it will definitely harden his support among the base. But I do think that this is just going to serve as a further reminder to independent voters who he would need mm -hmm. to win in a general that he has too much baggage, too much drama, and that there are still other potential indictments looming. Sarah Matthews, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Appreciate it. Thank you. And we'll be right back with much more in our breaking news tonight. Donald Trump indicted on seven counts in the special counsel's classified documents probe. Stay with us. Former President Trump says he's been summoned to appear at a Miami federal courthouse Tuesday afternoon after being indicted on seven counts in the special counsel's classified documents probe. Joining me now is Marcos D. Jimenez, a former U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Florida. Thank you so much for joining me. I should note you were U.S. attorney during the Bush administration. Uh, in recent years, you have been quite critical of former President Donald Trump. I'm going to ask you questions specifically about uh, the Southern District in Florida, because that is where this is going to happen on Tuesday. Uh, first and foremost, we were talking here about the jury pool. You know a, a lot about the jury pool because this is where you were U.S. attorney. Is, is there any indication that the kind of, of jury that will be pulled from there will be anything other than genuinely... Uh, objective, either not for or against Donald Trump? I mean, it seems like it's a pretty uh, broad swath of community and society that you can pull from there. Yes. Uh, thank you for having me. And I, I agree with that. I think that generally, uh, you know, the jurors in our district and, uh, you know, I suspect in most districts, if not all districts, take their jobs very seriously. Um, you know, when we pick a jury in a federal criminal case, uh, you pick the jurors that you think you want. So what's I find very interesting about this case is that uh, here the prosecutors may not pick the jurors that normally you would pick in a federal criminal case. Generally, uh, federal prosecutors prefer conservative jurors, uh, jurors who uh, you know are, are, are extremely uh, concerned about the law, but they may have some questions in this case because conservative jurors may like Donald Trump. So uh, I think it'll be a very interesting uh, dance, if you will, uh, that both sides will pick if this case ever gets to a jury. Uh, but to answer your question, um, our jurors are, are really excellent. Our judges are really excellent. Uh, we have some of the best criminal defense attorneys in this district. You know, it's not Miami. Uh, Miami is part of the Southern District of Florida. So I think mm -hmm. we need to start talking in terms of what the district is. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the case was charged here because the offense was committed here. Uh, you know, the, both the Constitution and the rules of criminal procedure state that a defendant must be charged in the district where the offense was committed. So the Southern District of Florida, which includes Mar-a-Lago, where this offense really occurred, uh, I suspect, for the most part, uh, is where this case has to be tried. And the department brought the charges here to eliminate, as has been noted by some of your other guests, to eliminate mm -hmm. any 
potential venue defense. As the former uh, top prosecutor, federal prosecutor in this district uh, in the past, what else are you looking at and looking for as we look ahead to what we're going to see on Tuesday? Well, on Tuesday, it's going to be uh, pretty perfunctory, uh, even though it's the president of the United States. And uh, I do agree, uh, despite, you know, my personal feelings in the past, I do agree this is a very sad day for this country. Uh, You know, you have a former president coming in, but uh, the court will treat the president like any other defendant. He will be informed of his his charges uh, against them. He'll be asked if he has counsel. Of course, he'll walk in with his counsel. And then he'll also be, that's his initial appearance. Um, Then he'll also be arraigned where he'll be asked to plead either guilty or not guilty to the charges. Uh, He, of course, will plead not guilty. And then the terms of his release will be set. And uh, in this case, clearly, um, I don't expect that the judges will uh, impose a bond. Uh, I think they'll require him to just be released on his uh, on his own recognizance and his uh, the fact that he's a former president and he will come back to court. So despite the historic nature of this indictment uh, on Tuesday, he will be treated just like any other defendant that walks in to the court that day. Except he'll have Secret Service and I would imagine there'll (laughs) be a a lot of security, enhanced security around the courthouse. Yes. Yeah. And we're so we're used to uh, high profile cases down here. You know, remember, uh, we tried General Noriega down here. That case also Mm. involved classified information. I was a very young prosecutor in the office that actually in that case, received sensitive compartmented information, which is a very high classification that's required for you to review evidence. And that's what this case is really going to be about, which is uh, classified information. Uh, We also had Bush v. Gore down here. Mm -hmm. uh, And I was also involved in those cases and uh, dealt with the press and the media. So uh, we are ready uh, to handle this. Uh, The judges in this court are ready to handle it. Uh, I can tell you from personal experience that every federal judge in this court is committed to the rule of law, is an excellent judge, and has tried lots of cases and will give the president uh, a very fair trial if it comes to that. Fascinating. Thank you so much for your perspective. We appreciate it. We will uh, be checking back with you. Marcos D. Jimenez. Aaron? All right, Dana, you know, that look, there was a lot in that conversation. But can I just start here, Elliot, that he brought up, you know, saying that well, they've had high profile, profile cases uh, in southern Florida. Uh, Bush v. Gore came up. Without that, we wouldn't have you. Hey, like you would never have great. been born. Loved it. Uh, and then Manuel Noriega, <laughs> which you have been pounding the I, table here. None of you have seen it out there because we, it's been in secret. We did been waiting say, for a mention of this. Case. Uh, uh, Donald Trump would not be the first former head of state to be tried in Miami federal court. Manuel Noriega was, in fact, the first. We did say it. So, you know, I'm simpatico. You with my said fel- it. I, I said it, yes. But I'm simpatico <laughs> with my former federal prosecutor brother who just mm-hmm. made that point. <laughs> right, just, all right. Now, um, Ryan, one other thing um, that you have been talking about, and I think it's important because he was talking about the system there, right, with Dana in South Florida, how it works. The judge. The judge is crucial here. And it seems to be a sort of a choose your own adventure. How does this happen? Yeah, it's uh, the metaphor that's put in it is they put uh, there's a wheel and they'll spin a wheel, essentially, that will randomly select the judge. 
And so the judge could be, we could see once again Eileen Cannon in the news, and that was the federal district court judge that intervened in this case in such a, an extraordinary way that was so foreign to everybody in the legal community, and she was overturned pretty astoundingly by a 3-0 panel of the Court of Appeals, all uh, Republican judges. So she could get the case. The trial judge has enormous discretion. If, in now, if she trial. gets the case, though, given that, that, that just stands? I could imagine that there would be an argument for her to recuse um, because she demonstrated such level of bias um, in that proceeding. But that's also a hard argument. uh, Wow. Yeah. But, But, I mean, this is amazing. So we're talking about, okay, this is who you get, and you could get her, and this could be how this goes. I mean, talk about an unbelievable development, not just legally but politically. Oh, yeah. Um, And and I've been thinking about the the macro-political implications of this. You know, virtually every Republican is going to see it this way. The current president of the United States is trying to throw in jail his chief rival for the White House, who used to work there. But but Ace Hutchinson doesn't see it that way. Chris Christie is not going to see it that way. Both of those guys, though, are are, are people with prosecutorial experience, but right? The, but the reason so, I but the reason I bring it up is because when virtually every Republican is going to believe that, the real issue for me long term is what is this due to the trust of institutions? You, I mean, you cannot have a criminal justice system where half the country <laughs> believes it is yeah. weaponized, biased, politically motivated, whatever you want to call it. And so you, we're getting we're in this cycle now yeah. where that's becoming more true every day. There will be a Republican president someday. And, you know, what will the pressure be on them to continue that cycle? I, I just it's very troubling to me. Yeah, well, the it's cycle very won't... troubling because because it, it, to the extent that you have a point, which is that people see it as weaponized. OK, who's, respons- who's responsible for that? But, but, I, but it's not even that, Mondaire, is it? It's the reality is that then you don't have a system that works because the only way that people trust it is for it to not do its job, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, isn't that, yeah, no, how, do you, I, how do you function I don't, in that I don't, I don't think the solution is to, is to in, inoculate people who may be political actors from accountability simply because they uh, were or yeah. are the, the leaders of the, their party or, or the president of the United States. Um, I think the solution is for people to behave responsibly and not immediately say, especially people who know better, which is like mostly any of the elected officials who've weighed in on the Republican side thus right. far. When you that say like, all Republicans. I, I let's wait to see. Let's wait. To, well, no, let me finish. And then, yeah. yes, yeah. let's wait to see what the evidence is. And let's see this adjudicated in a court of law. Like, don't we still believe in courts of law to fairly yeah. and impartially decide cases like this? If, if the implication is, is that people should just act responsibly, a Republican might say to you, did Hillary Clinton act responsibly with her server? Has Hunter Biden acted responsibly on a number of fronts? Why is it that certain Democrats seem to be able to act irresponsibly, yet the wheels don't turn the same? The Republican FBI director declined to move forward with a recommendation that Hillary Clinton be prosecuted. That is not equivalent to the situation that we are talking about right I'm just, now. I'm just telling you how Where, people are going to see it. I, I know, but the problem is because of rhetoric and, and, and false equivalencies like the one that you just drew, it, it, it causes people to further believe that like the, the these agencies are out to get one particular party when in fact, if, if there had been a Democratic president who had the same kind of state of mind, who, who declined to produce documents to the FBI when, when he was subpoenaed to do so, that, that that person would also be prosecuted. But but Donald Trump in this situation is distinct from both Joe Biden and Mike Pence. Yeah. Well, 
I mean, all right, thank you all, and much more to come. Our breaking news coverage continues here. Former President Trump now is the Republican frontrunner in the 2024 race, indicted tonight on seven counts in the special counsel's classified documents probe. The White House declining to comment on the federal indictment of former President Donald Trump. So let's go to our CNN White House correspondent, Jeremy Diamond. Uh, Jeremy, what are you learning? Obviously declining to comment, uh, even as I can imagine they're watching this as closely as everyone else is. Yeah, they, they certainly are watching this. But listen, the White House didn't get a heads up when Jack Smith was appointed as special counsel. They didn't get a heads up when a search warrant was executed at Mar-a-Lago. And they didn't get a heads up once again tonight uh, as this indictment came down. Instead, I'm told by a White House official that uh, the president and the White House learned about this like everybody else uh, through these news reports, which uh, initially came uh, from uh, the former president's uh, social media account. So the White House uh, learned about it that way, and they are not commenting at this point. The closest that we got to a comment was when the White House uh, spokesman Ian Sams told me that they were declining to comment and referring questions uh, to the Department of Justice, which he noted, and this is notable, he said, uh, which conducts its criminal investigations independently. And that was by choice because essentially the White House's strategy here of not commenting on uh, various uh, indictments, whether it is this one or the one that happened back in New York or any of the other uh, criminal uh, prosecutorial activities uh, of the the Department of Justice, they want to make sure that they maintain the independence of the Justice Department, that they don't give any credence to these notions, these attacks that are coming from Republicans, that President Biden was somehow involved uh, in this decision to indict the former president, that there is some kind of politicization of the Department of Justice. And uh, the president uh, spoke to this today when he was asked, how do you convince Americans that they should trust the independence of the Justice Department? Listen. As you notice, I have never once, not one single time, suggested to the Justice Department what they should do or not do relative to bringing a charge or not bringing a charge. I'm honest. And Aaron, that was obviously earlier today before that indictment even came down. But it does speak to this broader point that President Biden came into office following the former president who had repeatedly sought to politicize the Department of Justice, who had sought to interfere in the Justice Department's investigative activities. And so he did try and set a tone very early on about not getting involved in these kinds of uh, investigative matters by the Department of Justice. And so tomorrow, as President Biden heads to North Carolina, there will be plenty of opportunities for reporters to shout questions at him about this. I expect that he will ignore all of those. Aaron. All right, Jeremy, thank you. Dana? I want to bring back Laura Coates, Carrie Cardero, and Andrew McCabe. Uh, I want to discuss some of the specifics of what we believe uh, is in this sealed indictment and go to an interview that uh, Caitlin Collins did with Jim Trustee, one of Donald Trump's lawyers. And does it say how many charges there are against your client? It uh, again, it doesn't perfectly mirror an indictment, but it does have some language in it that suggests what the seven charges would be. Not 100 percent clear that all of those are separate charges, but they basically break out from an Espionage Act charge, which is ludicrous under the facts of this case. And I, I can certainly explain it. And several obstruction based type charges and then false statement charges, which are actually, again, kind of a, a crazy stretch just from the facts as we know it. So there's a lot to pick at eventually from the defense side, but that appears to be the charges, and it appears to be something that will uh, get off the ground on Tuesday. 
And Laura, I know you're particularly interested in the false statement charges. I am, because I want the public to understand that false statement charges can, can mean that you are the direct speaker of the statement or that you can induce somebody to make a false statement to the authorities, to law enforcement, in this case, DOJ. And so I'm particularly interested in seeing and learning more about, remember, the attorney, Evan Corcoran, who testified in front of the grand jury, who had the piercing of the attorney-client privilege. We don't know who is the person who made the statement or whether that's the nature of it. But it's not just that Donald Trump himself would have had to say it. If he induced somebody else to make a false statement, he could be found liable and guilty as a principal speaker. You know, I got to say, Dana, I continue to be shocked that someone currently on the president's legal team is out talking about an indictment that he hasn't read the underlying facts about. The, you know, we've been talking about the politics a little bit um, and the, the public messaging that's involved. And, and we're talking about the legal case that's going to be uh, brought And those are two really different things. And this former president is facing, if the way that uh, it is being described, the potential charges that are will be in this indictment, really serious federal crimes. This is not a political game. It's not a political game, but he's a political candidate. And he even if he weren't a political candidate, that is the lens through which he sees this. He is. But his attorneys are not running for office. Their sole function right now is to try to keep him out of trouble. And I agree with you, Carrie. They are skating out onto a pond. They don't know if that ice is you know, feet thick or uh, millimeters thick. They have no idea really what's going to be and what sort of facts are going to be alleged in this indictment. And they're making statements about things, subjects that they might very well want to base motions on later. There's been all kinds of uh, kind of pretty vague claims of prosecutorial misconduct and things like that. Um, So I think they're really taking on um, easily avoidable risk Mm -hmm. by maybe acceding to the demands of their very politically focused clients. Well, I was going to say, I mean, it it might be uh, very difficult when you are representing somebody and they are I'm just spitballing here saying, get on television and go explain and go defend me. But that misconduct part is going to be really important because you can speak and run your mouth in the court of public opinion, but at some point a judge will be aware of the comments made and will want them to actually detail the allegations they've made. And if they fail to do so, you can undermine your own credibility before your actual Mm -hmm. case and the motion practice even begins. All right. Uh, We will look at what Donald Trump's indictment might mean for the 2024 race. We've talked a little bit about it. There's a lot more to dive digest and discuss on that. Trump's challengers are reacting. That's next. All right. The 2024 presidential candidates, Republicans, are reacting tonight to the news of former President Trump's indictment. All right. Ryan Goodman, Elliot Williams, uh, Scott Jennings and Mondaire Jones all back with me. And and they are are now responding. Uh, Mondaire and Scott, um, you've got two tiers of justice from uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, DeSantis, weaponization, Mm -hmm. uh, Chris Christie. We don't get our news from Trump's too social. I'm going to wait, but making it clear, pretty much, uh, he's going to stick up for justice. And uh, Asa Hutchinson, uh, he's talking about Donald Trump's actions, willful disregard for the Constitution, disrespect for the rule of law. Uh, You see the split. Mm. Pretty good barometer for where most of the Republican Party is going to come down is where most of Trump's opponents have come down, which is to defend him on this, just like they have Mm -hmm. mostly defended him on every other legal happening 
uh, in this case. And I suspect that is going to continue to be the case as they all uh, take the temperature of their supporters out there. And I, I think Aces Hutchison's going to be on an island. Christie, you know, being a former federal prosecutor, maybe he's in a little bit different position. But I just think, by and large, you're going to see the Republicans rally around Trump. By the way, can I just say, listening to Joe Biden a minute ago say that he doesn't comment on federal investigations, he may not have commented on this one, but he has repeatedly commented on Hunter Biden. He has commented on January 6th. And I just, he needs to not comment on this. I do think that's important. But he has not been the paragon of virtue when it comes to commenting on DOJ. So, okay, Mondaire, can I ask you one one thing here, though? I want to ask you one more thing from Asa. He ends his statement with Asa Hutchinson, I'm sorry, from of governor of Arkansas. He, this reaffirms the need for Donald Trump to respect the office and to end his campaign. All right, you get that from him. Tim Scott, by the way, is talking about a two-tier justice system, mm-hmm. right? So to Scott's point, you got one, and Chris Christie will see where he falls, uh, but he, he, he thinks Trump has no business running for office. Okay, but, but Scott has a point. About what? About about what you're going to see on the Republican side. You're already seeing it. Oh, okay. Yeah, right? look, I, look I, I, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I don't think any of us are surprised by that, as, as sad as it is. I, I hope that someone like a Chris Christie would get traction uh, for speaking the truth within the Republican Party. Uh, but, but, you know, what stands out to me is that those two individuals you mentioned who are on an island of their own are not going to come close to getting the Republican nomination. And, and so query... Query how many people actually care, I think, uh, who, who have a vote and who the, the next nominee is going to be. I mean, it's, un, it's unbelievable. And, of course, on the, on the legal system so far, at least in the special counsel, they're, they're, they're sticking to business as usual, right? They're not trying to make a political case. Not that they should, but in a world where that's how it's going to be seen. That's right. So a lot of the conversation tonight, I've just been thinking about the pure legal question that the prosecutors have in front of them. Sounds like they have... Just speaking about the law, rock-solid case, they didn't go too ambitiously with dissemination or something like that. The charges that we've heard are the ones that match the facts that we've seen alleged and by the government itself and other court filings. So I think this looks very strong. We'll see what the evidence provides. But by the book is not... This whole pullback, this whole thing is a test of us as a nation, right? Uh, It is a criminal case that may well be a perfectly virtuous criminal investigation where the facts and the law support a conviction. That doesn't mean that the public is going to support it. Um, And I do think it is a test of, of... who we are, and if our vaunted justice system can actually work in a truly uh, impartial way that that the public can get behind. And thanks to all. And I mean, Dan, it is such an incredible test, right, for the country when you think about it. And when you think about with the seriousness with which Americans take their their jury duty, right, that they're Americans, everyone on a jury is going to have a strong opinion about Donald Mm -hmm. Trump, right? I mean, and they are going to be asked uh, to do without, you know, favor or fear, apply the law. It, it, It is an incredible moment. It certainly is. And look, there is uh, a reason why when you have a sitting president, uh, these things do not happen. And the fact that we have a former president uh, that is now facing not one, but uh, had had faced one indictment, now facing a second, uh, it is kind of hard to wrap your mind around. Uh, And thank you so much, Aaron. If I had to spend uh, 10 to midnight with anyone, it would definitely be you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you too, Dan. And thanks so much to all of you uh, for watching. Our coverage continues. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.